0: Hey everyone, Big E here, and welcome to the Virginia Law for Law Enforcement Officers podcast. I just want to let you guys know, we are now available on Stitcher and on iTunes. So if you have an Android phone or you have an iPhone, either way, we've got a great way for you guys to uh, check out the podcast. So check out Stitcher if if you like that app that's available on Android, or obviously we're available on Apple iTunes as well. Uh, today is episode 9, and we're going to be talking more about the decriminalization of marijuana today. Specifically, we're going to be talking about searches of people and searches of homes. We've been talking about that uh, last couple episodes. Last episode, we talked a lot about searches of cars under decriminalization, what's going to happen with that. Uh, we talked some about what decriminalization means. And then today, so we're going to talk more about people and how Houses, but I do want to talk about uh, you know what's been going on also with use of force law. You know we have we started our first few episodes talking about that, and uh, since then the House has passed that bill. I mentioned to you guys um, Justin Amash's bill uh, eliminating qualified immunity. The House of Representatives passed that bill. The Senate is not taking that bill up for now, so it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. But um, obviously, that's uh, something going on. And then, of course, Virginia may have a special session at the end of August or beginning of September. We're not sure of the time. Pretty sure it's going to happen. Talking about, obviously, there's going to be a lot of uh, budget issues, but also use of force issues and police reform bills and so on. So as those bills become available to read, actually, right now they're just talk. uh, But as it become available to read, I'm going to come back, probably wheel back and talk about some of those bills. As well. And, and by the way, we're also going to talk about, I think, in upcoming episodes too, some of the other new laws that we know are going to be taking effect in July 1. Uh, decriminalization of marijuana is obviously one, but there's a bunch of other, um, you know, somewhat new and different laws going into effect and some big changes going into effect in the law um, starting July 1. So, in upcoming episodes, I do want to talk about a bunch of the changes in the law and then talk to you about some of the potential changes. Um, I like to talk about stuff that's concrete, but you know, obviously we want to sort of dissect what might be coming as well. So again, this is a podcast that we're going to be talking about, Virginia Law, for Virginia law enforcement officers. And it's for you guys out there who want to do it right, who have always been coming to me over the years and saying, how can I learn more? How can I get better? Um, that's why we're doing this. That's why we're putting this out here for you guys. I'm certainly not making any money off of it, but um, uh, that's not my goal. I mean, My goal here is to give you guys some of the tools that you have always been asking for, tools to expand your knowledge, to get better at what you do, to do it uh, more correctly, to do it right, which I know is what uh, you know everybody wants to do because they're always asking me, how do I do it? How do I do it right? How do I do it better? So that's what we're going to be trying to do for you is give you those resources. And thanks for the feedback. You guys have been giving great feedback to me, uh, giving me new ideas, telling me what's, what's been good, what's been not so good. And so keep that coming. Really appreciate it. Any kind of feedback is great. So uh, I want to recap sort of where we are uh, from the last episode before we dive into searches of people today which is what we're going to really try to get to Uh, last episode we talked about the decriminalization of marijuana starting july 1 right so that's definitely going into effect and what that means is that the simple possession of marijuana in virginia is no longer a criminal offense but it's a civil offense okay and so what that means is it's an offense it's under 18.2 but it's not a crime anymore it's just civil it's a 25 dollar fine and, uh, and, and and people can no, should no longer be arrested for that. They should be given summonses. They shall be given summonses. The rest of the law about uh, possession with intent to distribute marijuana and distribution remains basically the same. Juvenile law remains basically the same regarding marijuana. The one big difference is that we move the threshold for misdemeanor to felony from a half an ounce to an ounce. And we also discussed last week about how marijuana is still... Contraband, possession of it is still unlawful in Virginia. And that has a big effect. I mean, the most important effect is that because it's contraband under Carroll versus United States, 1925 case, if it's contraband and you have probable cause that it's in a vehicle, you can search that vehicle for that contraband. And so we talked about that somewhat uh, last week. What I wanna talk about today, I wanna talk about first of all, about search warrants and searches for homes. And then I wanna talk about searches of people for marijuana. Because although I think it's pretty clear starting July 1 that courts, if they do read the cases and they do read the law and they don't make some big change about what the standards are, are going to allow searches of vehicles, there are more questions regarding searches of homes and searches of of, of individuals, of people. Um, as far as searches of homes go, and I'm, when I talk about homes, recognize I'm talking about hotel rooms too, because if you're staying in a hotel room, that's your home for the night. That becomes basically your house, and it has the same protections the Fourth Amendment extends to somebody's house. So houses, apartments, hotel rooms, and so on, rooming houses. Um, can you get a search warrant for possession of marijuana uh, under the code under after after July one, and To answer that question, you look at the code section for search warrants. And the code section for search warrants is 19.253. And 19.253 allows you to get a search warrant for one of four things. You can get a search warrant for weapons or other objects used in the commission of a crime. You can get a search warrant for articles or things, the sale or possession of which is unlawful. For stolen property or the fruits of any crime. And lastly, for any object, thing, or person, including without limitation documents, books, papers, records, or bloody fluids, constituting evidence of the commission of the crime. So where does marijuana fall if you're trying to get a search warrant for someone's residence uh, and in its mere possession, all you have is probable cause of possession. uh, Where do you fall in there, if at all? And the answer is number two, uh, articles or things that the sale or possession of which is unlawful. And as we talked about last week, uh, still in Virginia, the code will say on July 2nd of 2020, the possession of marijuana is unlawful. So you can get a search warrant for someone's home uh, if, for uh, or for someone's car, for that matter, or for an object for possession of marijuana under the law. But oftentimes, law enforcement runs into a situation where there is exigent circumstances and you, and you may decide right now that you're going to enter a residence or enter a hotel room without a search warrant in order to secure that scene and then go back out and get a search warrant, right? So, for example, you're, you're in a hotel, and the hotel's called you there because there's a, uh, a loud party, it's disturbing other people. The people won't answer the door. Um, they, uh, the hotel is, you know, um, you know, fed up with these people, and so, but they're also concerned because there's a big group and whatever. So they call you there. So you show up, and you're there with the staff. The door, they're banging on the door. The door opens, and a big smell of marijuana wafts out. They look at you, their eyes go wide, and they go to slam the door. Right. So in that situation, they've demonstrated that now law they realize that law enforcement knows that you uh, that they possess marijuana inside and having opened the door, they're suddenly like panicking. And they, you know, let's say you see them inside. They're rushing to like start to pick up stuff and destroy stuff. So you under current law. Right. You would have a defensible reason to go in, secure the scene, uh, make sure that nobody's destroying any evidence now. So you still have to stop and go get a search warrant. But that's an exigent circumstance. Right. And it's the exigent circumstance that allows you to cross the threshold to step over into someone's home, their hotel room, without a warrant, even though in normal times, the Fourth Amendment says you cannot do that without a search warrant. You have to have a search warrant to step over that threshold and enter into someone's residence. Well, the current law about this comes from lots of different cases. Cherry versus Commonwealth, Evans versus Commonwealth. Um, Evans is a case where officers are at the house, then she, go, the person tries to slam the door. Um, they're like, hey, you know, we understand it's marijuana in here. She opens the door, tries to slam it again. She denies the ownership, desi- den- denies that there's any marijuana inside. Obviously, there is marijuana inside. So the officers enter and secure and they get a, uh, a warrant. And the court says that exigent circumstances were established by, by the heavy odor of marijuana and the contemporaneous knowledge of Ms. Evans that the investigating officers were at her door smelling the marijuana, which gives her a reason to destroy the evidence. And United States versus Grisette is another good example of this happening in the federal system. This again is a, um, uh, this was a hotel room, a motel room. Officers identify themselves, detect the odor of marijuana. People, you know, try to um, force them out. And so they enter secure, get a search warrant. But on July one in virginia we're making a big change we're changing the possession of marijuana to a civil offense now let me pause for a second and say if if what you have probable cause of is possession with intention to distribute or probable cause of distribution, then the law is not going to be changing. But if all that you have is possession of marijuana, probable cause of possession of marijuana, then yeah, the law is going to change, and we need to understand what the impact of that is. And probably the best example of the impact of this is a case called Welsh versus Wisconsin. Welsh versus Wisconsin is a case, it's a 1984 case, it's a case... That takes in Wisconsin. And in Wisconsin in 1984, it, DUI was a civil offense. It wasn't punished as a criminal offense. So it's just like possession of marijuana is in Virginia. Now, they came around eventually and woke up. But back in the early 80s in Wisconsin in the 70s, DUI was a civil offense. And these officers, in this case, Welsh versus Wisconsin, they went into Mr. Welsh's house. They entered under exigent circumstances because he was fleeing from a DUI stop and they didn't want to let him do that. They didn't want him to destroy evidence and escape responsibility for his DUI, so they entered his home, and he said, you can't do that. And they said, well, we have an exigent circumstance. The evidence is being destroyed. You're uh, getting away from the DUI. The court looked at that and said, even assuming that the underlying facts would support a finding of exigent circumstance, uh, the state of Wisconsin has chosen to classify this DUI, this offense, as a non-criminal civil forfeiture offense for which no imprisonment is possible. And so given the expression of the state's interest, a warrantless home arrest cannot be upheld simply because the evidence of the petitioner's blood alcohol level might have dissipated while the police obtained a warrant. A warrantless nighttime entry into the petitioner's home to arrest him for a civil traffic offense is prohibited by the special protection afforded an individual in his home by the Fourth Amendment. And so what the court is saying here is because Wisconsin has expressed this um, very low level of concern about the offense of DUI, therefore the offense can't be serious enough under any circumstances for police to enter under exit ex- circumstances. Now, think about that with, with possession of marijuana, right? If all you have is possession of a, a probable cause of possession, not distribution or not possession of the tent, and the General Assembly has said that's just a, civil, just a civil offense, then wouldn't that be exactly the same situation as Wells versus Wisconsin? And then wouldn't the court have to rule the same way? We don't have any rulings on this yet in Virginia, but it's very analogous. And so if it were me, I would be very concerned about entering someone's home, including their hotel room or their motel room, if it's lawfully rented out to them, based on probable cause of mere possession of marijuana under the claim that this is not an exigent circumstance. I wouldn't do that. I would get a search warrant. I would back off. I would not enter insecure. The The next question, though, that we have to answer here um, is going to be about uh, people, stopping people and searching people. Before I get into that, though, I do want to take a minute and talk about Copline. You guys have heard me talk about this before, but it bears repeating. um, Last year, at least 228 police officers died by suicide, according to Blue Help, which is an organization devoted to addressing officers' mental and emotional health. Uh, That's more than were killed in the line of duty last year, guys. Um, and it's way up from 178 which was bad and that was in 2018 any number is too many Uh, any number is a tragedy and we can do better we need to acknowledge what the stress and the exposure to trauma can do and is doing to us and recognize it in each other Uh, if you feel like there's no way to face another day there's no reason to keep on going that no one cares uh, if you uh, are around uh, if the world would just be better off without you First of all, you need to understand, you gotta got know that's not true. Um, and you're not alone. There's a lot of people out there who appreciate what you do, and your buddies are there for you. Um, there's a lot of people out there who appreciate what you do and who do not sit up all night and you know, blog and eat Cheetos in their parents' basement. Uh, they don't have time for that because they have jobs and families, and they're appreciating people like you who work hard for them and for their safety. Uh, but if you cannot find anyone else to talk to and does not you know you don't feel comfortable talking to your buddies you don't feel comfortable with your um, your coworkers, your or your your organization's resources cop line is there for you cop line is manned entirely by retired law enforcement officers an active or retired officer or their family can call 24 hours a day seven days a week and be assured that there's a trained active experienced listener on the other side other end of the line cop line is Strictly confidential, and their number is 1-800-COPLINE. Easy to remember: 1-800-COPLINE. That's 1-800-267-5463. That's 800-267-5463. And it's also they're also at copline.org. So check them out. It's a great organization, um, and uh, they're there for you. Okay, so let's talk about when decriminalization of marijuana takes place. What does that mean for searches of people? We know that we can probably search cars. We cannot probably enter under circumstances of houses. We can still get search warrants. But let's say you're just walking down the street and you see someone smoking marijuana. Um, You can smell the odor of marijuana coming from them. Can you search them, right? Well, to start out, to, to get there, we're going to have to just review the fundamentals of search and seizure law, and that is that requires us to look at the three basic levels of police-citizen encounters, right? Under the Fourth Amendment, we have three basic levels of police-citizen encounters. We have consensual encounters, we have investigative detentions, and we have arrest, right? probable cause arrests. We're not going to talk about consent here because consent doesn't really enter into it. Uh, investigative detentions and probable cause arrests are our focus for today. So an investigative detention requires reasonable, articulable suspicion to believe that a person's engaging in criminal activity. And if you have reasonable suspicion to believe that someone's engaging in criminal activity, you can detain that person for a reasonable period of time in order to identify them, question them briefly, and then confirm or dispel your suspicions uh, that they're engaged in some kind of criminal activity you are permitted to use whatever force or steps are reasonably necessary to maintain the status quo. But if you're wondering what force is reasonable, then I encourage you to check out the first few episodes of the podcast where we talk a lot about force. So notice here that the language of investigative detention always seems to talk about criminal offense. A Terry stop and investigative detention is always for a criminal offense, and that's repeated in Arizona versus Johnson, which is a 2009 U.S. Supreme Court case. Of course, marijuana isn't a criminal offense anymore. Um, So, you know, the question is, can you stop people based on the odor of marijuana? Now, last episode, I talked about a lot of states that have decriminalized marijuana, right? Well over a dozen states have decriminalized marijuana, and they've had to address these same questions that we have. Massachusetts and New York are the only states that have held that the mere odor of marijuana alone, with nothing else, uh, that no longer provides law enforcement officers with reasonable suspicion of criminal activity. Um, New York follows that. Massachusetts follows that. That's Commonwealth versus Cruz in Massachusetts 2011 case, and um, People versus Brucker, which is a 2015 case. Mere odor of marijuana with nothing else doesn't give you uh, marrow, doesn't give you uh, reasonable suspicion. And that really is, that would be a huge change in Virginia because right now the odor of marijuana gives you not just reasonable suspicion, but probable cause. If a law enforcement officer smells the odor of marijuana and the officer can localize its source to a person, then under Bunch versus Commonwealth, which is a 2008 case, the officer has probable cause to believe that the person has committed or is committing the crime of possession of marijuana. Um, Johnson versus Commonwealth is an is a example of this just from last year. And it would be very strange in Virginia for the courts to suddenly dial that back and say, not only is it not probable cause, it's not reasonable suspicion, it's nothing, right? I don't think that we can expect that. So then the question is, uh, and assume here for the minute we're not talking about somebody who's visibly intoxicated, right? Because you could still be intoxicated with a narcotic or a drug, and that could be give you a probable cause that the person is intoxicated in public and that would be give you a, a different legal lawful reason to take a person into custody that has to be a custodial arrest um, or dui for example the person might be uh, impaired driving and that's a, of course again if you're doing a traffic stop and you smell marijuana and there's some indication from driving behavior or whatever that the person might be intoxicated you can always do that investigation keep in mind by the way that people who are intoxicated with uh, and under the people who are under the influence of marijuana exhibit symptoms that are totally different than people who are under the influence of alcohol and if you're curious about how to learn about that definitely check out the dre program the drug recognition expert program um, it's a whole different set of field sobriety tests a whole different set of tests to see if somebody's under the influence of drugs like marijuana but that's not what we're here for today we're going to just be talking about again uh, can you w- what can you do if you smell the odor of marijuana coming from somebody so it gives you, under current law, probable cause to think the person is committing a criminal offense. Does that mean that you can frisk the person? Well, keep in mind that a frisk requires some kind of lawful detention, as along with reasonable, articulate suspicion to believe that a person is armed. And that means some evidence of violence, an offense that involves a potential for weapons. The mere fact that somebody is uh, committing a crime is not enough reason to think that somebody is armed. You need to have reasonable, articulable suspicion. You'll be able to tell a court, explain to a court why you think that somebody may be armed. We know that suspicion of drug distribution gives you an inference of dangerousness, an inference that somebody may be armed. There's no question about that. You know, drugs and guns go together, and that's U.S. versus Saki, which is a 1998 Fourth Circuit case, and Williams versus Commonwealth talks about that back in the 1980s. But when marijuana is decriminalized, do you have that same lawful suspicion when somebody is simply possessing marijuana, committing a civil offense of possessing marijuana? Well, Maryland says no. Maryland says in Norman versus State, no, um, when they decriminalized marijuana. Um, non-criminal recreational users are far less likely to be armed and dangerous than drug dealers, and so there isn't reasonable suspicion to believe that somebody is carrying a weapon just because they're in simple possession of marijuana. Holmes versus Commonwealth is this case that came out on May 12th of of just this year, just a couple of weeks ago, really. And it's an interesting case because in that case the officer was able to point to his own training and experience and Unlike in Norman versus State, I think where they kind of just said, well, drugs and guns go together. And so because drugs and guns go together, uh, I get to frisk this person. And in Holmes, the officer says, no, 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 I'm not just saying as a blanket rule, drugs and guns go together. What the officer said in this case was, number one, the person I stopped, I stopped him in a high high crime, high drug area. Number two, there was very dim lighting. There were a lot of people in the car and I was by myself. So the danger to me was very high because it was a high crime, high drug area, because the lighting was bad and because I was all by myself and there was a bunch of them. And in this situation, I smelled the odor of marijuana and I smelled a masking agent. They were trying to hide the odor of marijuana. So the officer pats the person down and finds their gun and the person's a felon. The officer was able to articulate that three or four times in the past year, he had recovered weapons from individuals who simply possessed marijuana. And in his training and experience, he was able to articulate people who are in simple possession of marijuana often carry weapons. So notice, because he could point to specific examples in his experience in that area, uh, he was able to demonstrate why he had reasonable suspicion. He didn't say, well, drugs and, gun, drugs and guns go together, so therefore I get to pat them down. Well, I don't think you can expect a court to buy that anymore. Um, But in Holmes, the court said, yeah, based on his articulation of his own personal training and experience and his own experiences and the situation he was in in the high crime area, the fact that he was alone, dim lighting, then in that case, the pat down was lawful. So I would expect courts to set a higher bar and really expect you to articulate uh, why you're patting somebody down. But again, we're still basically trying to answer this question. You walk into the street, you smell marijuana coming from somebody. Can you search them? Well, uh, Let's talk about what's happening here. We got probable cause, right? We're not talking about reasonable position, we're talking about probable cause. So you have probable cause and that normally gives you the ability to arrest somebody. Now an arrest can be with a summons or an arrest can be custodial. It's usually the custodial arrest that gives you the right to search somebody. If you're giving somebody a summons, then you're releasing them and you don't get to search them incidental arrest. If you're giving somebody a summons for speeding or running a red light, then you don't get to search that person incident to arrest. But if I'm arresting somebody for petty larceny and I'm taking them into custody and I'm going to take them to jail, then yeah, I'm going to search that person incident to arrest. As I pointed out last week, the new marijuana statute doesn't offer you that alternative. There is no situation in Virginia after July 1 in which it would be lawful for you to take someone into custody for simple possession of marijuana. If that's all you have, you shall release them on a summons. And so, and we covered this last week, right? So you're, you're, isn't going to be a custodial arrest of a person for possession of marijuana. So you're going to have to be, if you're going to be searching them, you're doing so incident to a summons. And generally speaking, you're not supposed to do that, right? So, um, so we're going to have to talk about how it is that you could lawfully do that, if at all. And what I'm going to tell you, basically, is that you should expect a lot of of litigation about this in your courts, and you should be... Uh, speaking to your prosecutors and observing what your judges do as this law takes change takes effect because there are going to be jurisdictions that will hold that you cannot search a person incident to giving them a summons for possession of marijuana. And there will also be jurisdictions that will hold that you can. And you need to understand what the conflict is and what the different uh, interpretations of the law could be because I can't predict what your prosecutors are going to say and I can't predict what your judge is going to say. But I can tell you here's the two sides of the argument. Um, a summons is an arrest. I mean, that is definitely an arrest, but it's a, an arrest that where you, you're immediately releasing the person. And that's under Young versus Commonwealth, which is a 2011 case. But the question that we're really asking here is, can I search somebody incident to arrest when I'm giving them a summons? And there's a case called Knowles versus Iowa, right? So you're walking in the street and you see a person, you smell marijuana, and you're saying, hey, you know, what's going on? And the guy's got a joint in his hand. And so the question is, can I search this person? If I'm giving him a summons, if I've if I've determined that I know what the marijuana is, that's the marijuana that he's got in his hands, what am I going to be searching him incident to arrest for? Knowles versus Iowa says there's two reasons to be searching somebody incident to arrest. Number one is the need to disarm the suspect in order to take them into custody. Well, that's right out the window because we're not taking him into custody anymore. And the second is the need to preserve evidence for later use at trial. And that's what we're gonna be talking about today. The um, The summons versus arrest rule still matters in, in, in Virginia because um, we're, there is no ability to arrest a person, to, to take a person in custody for possession of marijuana. And that's just like it would be with speeding, right? Normally, uh, assuming the person signs the summons. Knowles was also a speeding case and the court looked at this looked at the situation and said well we're in Knowles. we're being asked to extend the bright line rule to a situation where the concern for officer safety is not present to the same extent and the concern for destruction of loss of evidence is not present at all the person was speeding we stopped him for speeding we solved the speeding the evidence of the speeding has been determined why would you search that person into arrest you're not taking him into custody there's no more evidence to collect officers if they do have a concern for their safety they can do a terry pat down. And we've talked about that already today, that you may be able to do a terry pat down. So if you're concerned for your safety, then do a pat down, right? If that's, if that's lawful in the situation. Knoll says that there is no generally search incident to summons. Um, Lovelace versus Commonwealth, Rhodes versus Commonwealth, Hunt versus Commonwealth are all cases in Virginia, 1999 cases and 2003 case where officers conducted searches incident to summons after Knowles and the court found that they were unlawful. In Lovelace it was a summons for a uh, open container offense. And the fact that the officer could only issue a summons negates the argument that the existence of probable cause to charge him with drinking an alcoholic beverage in public allows the officer to search him. The court writes in Lovelace, and after Knowles, an arrest that is effectuated by issuing a citation or a summons rather than taking the suspect into custody doesn't justify a full field type search. Um, Farrow versus Commonwealth, 2000, uh, officer gave a guy a ticket for, uh, profanity in public, class three misdemeanor, searched him incident to summons, and the court said that was unlawful. Again, uh, there was no need to preserve evidence and there was no officer safety concern. Why did you search him incident to summons and, dis- and uh, throughout the evidence? Rhodes versus Commonwealth again, open container case. Uh, Commonwealth offered no evidence of a need to disarm Rhodes or the need to preserve any evidence. Under these circumstances, the authori- officer was only authorized to issue a summons, and therefore there was no authority to search incident to arrest. Um, Rhodes has a pretty strong language. It says a search incident to arrest is not authorized where, by statute, a state has abjured, uh, basically limited the authority to execute custodial arrests for minor offenses. So. All that language right there, that's pretty strong language, and if you apply it to our situation, it seems to say you can't search a person incident to arrest for marijuana. But of course, if you've been listening to what I've been saying, I keep saying that there's no concern for officer safety and there's no need to preserve evidence. But what if there were a need to preserve evidence, right? In other words, what if you did need to preserve the marijuana evidence for trial to demonstrate the person possessed marijuana? Again, if you smell marijuana on somebody, then you have probable cause to believe the person is committing the crime of possession of marijuana, but of course you have to search that person to find that evidence to preserve it for trial. And Bunch tells us, and this is the case from 2008, so it's after Knowles, if an officer smells the odor of marijuana, you've got probable cause to believe the person's committing the crime, and an evidentiary search unrelated to the, uh, to, unrelated to the justification for the weapons frisk is lawful when the officer smells marijuana coming from the person's pocket Um, us versus humphreys which is the case that bunch cites says in the search context the question is whether the totality of the circumstances is sufficient to warrant a reasonable person to believe that contraband or evidence of a crime is going to be found and in the arrest context the question is whether the totality of the circumstances indicate a reasonable person has committed or is committing uh, a crime so if you look back at U.S. versus Robinson and so on, the justification or the reason, which is a U.S. Supreme Court case about search incident to arrest from 1973, um, the justification or reason for the authority to search incident to arrest is equally the need to disarm the suspect and the need to preserve evidence. And when we talked about Knowles, which is a 1998 case about speeding, there was no need to do either. But if you're dealing with a situation where you do have to preserve evidence, Right then, could you still conduct some kind of search? And Lovelace, which is the case that says you can't search somebody incident to ara- incident to summons that summons was for drinking in public, does also say an encounter between a police officer and individual that is similar to a routine traffic stop and results in the issuance of a citation or summons may involve some degree of danger to the officer or could involve some need to preserve or discover evidence sufficient to warrant some additional intrusion, maybe just not necessarily a full field type search. So what Lovelace leaves open is maybe you're not doing a full search in his arrest, take off your shoes, right open to the person's wallet, search their whole wallet, all that kind of good stuff, but you could f- look for the evidence of the crime, which is the marijuana. And that takes us to Jones versus Commonwealth which is a case from 2004 from the city of Charlottesville. And in Jones, the officer was giving the person a summons for an alcohol violation, but in that case the person stuck the beer can into his bag and so the officer searched the bag. The court said it was reasonable for the officer to think that a search of the bag would yield evidence proving that in fact the defendant had committed the alcohol violation. And so because he had that need to preserve evidence, the officer was entitled to look at the the defendant's bag and the search was lawful, right? And that's a lot like Arizona versus Gantt, right? The idea, if I'm looking for the crime of arrest, then maybe I can search that person um, incident to that summons because I'm trying to preserve evidence. Now, again, um, this may not be... What the court concludes, Maryland, for example, which still allows a search of vehicles based upon probable cause, uh, based upon the odor of marijuana, Maryland says that just because you can search a vehicle doesn't mean you can search a person. And they draw the line there that if there's a odor of marijuana coming from a vehicle, you could search the vehicle, but you can't search the person. Um, Because possession of one ounce or less of marijuana had been decriminalized, the odor of burnt marijuana alone didn't give probable cause to justify the search of a person. And that's Camel versus Rodriguez. That's a 2015 case. Um, Other states, though, have disagreed. Uh, Minnesota uh, disagreed in state versus Ortega, um, and so on. So again, it's a complicated issue, and we're gonna have to see what the courts have with the courts rule i hope that today at least i've given you an understanding of what the controversies are um i i have not given you a sure answer and i hope i you don't walk away with a feeling like you have a sure answer because i think you're going to see your judges and your prosecutors coming out differently on this depending on what jurisdiction you're in and depending upon their view of the fourth amendment but as always my goal here is to give you guys a little more knowledge so that at least you can have intelligent conversations and you can advocate for Uh, the side that you think is the appropriate side um, to protect yourself and to protect your community. So that's what, we're gonna, that's what we're talking about today. Um, in upcoming episodes, I do, like I said, want to talk about some of the new laws that are coming through uh, after July 1. There's a lot of new laws besides recriminalization of marijuana. And there's going to be, obviously, some use of force and some police reform uh, legislation going to be put in. So we'll try to talk about that as that becomes available as well. Please send us topics. We're going to be talking about a lot of stuff and uh, things that you are interested in. But for today, hope that that was useful. Hope you guys found it helpful. Uh, if you like the podcast, tell your friends. If you don't like the podcast, don't tell your friends. That's all from me. That's all from Big E. Stay safe and don't get captured.